For my entire career, both as a lay minister and as a priest, I've been preparing people for the baptism of their children. And when I was at a larger church, I was able to do this in a regularly scheduled class of six classes. And it was fantastic. And I loved doing that piece. One of the moments of that class that I remember the most is this person walking in and sitting down and looking at me, not snottily, not aggressively, but a little bit curiously and saying, looking at me and saying, I thought all we had to do was get the baby done. Why is there a six-week course? And I nodded and said, well, there's a whole lot more to it and talked about how you know, baptism is just the beginning. It's the, you know, it's the buying the car. Eucharist is the driving of the car and filling it up and so on. And Part of the reason I remember that one person asking that question, and I've heard varieties of that question over and over throughout my career, is that he stuck around in the class and really developed friendships and relationship and a religious curiosity, even though he was there for the baptism of his daughter. And he got more involved in the life of the church. He had been a big deal day participant before then. Christmas, Easter, picnics, things like that, but not much more than that. And the continuation of that story, and part of why I remember it, is because every couple of years, even though I've shifted jobs like five times since then, that person will make sure to connect with me around the time of his daughter's baptism and tell me about what's been going on in his journey with Christ and his life of faith in the recent times. And he really sees that class and even that moment as a threshold into a more intentional faith. And so sometimes that question about, isn't there more than just getting the baby done, isn't even about the person receiving the sacrament. It's about the wider picture of community. Baptism is my favorite sacrament. And I'm not afraid to admit that. You can see it on my face in the pictures of every baptism. I'm wondering, Alan, do you have a favorite sacrament? Yeah, so you asked me to think about that. As you were talking, I realized I was going to say Holy Eucharist, but actually now I think about it, my experience of baptism here in my work, I have to say it is a favorite because I get to baptize young adults who are intentionally making this decision uh, for themselves in a more in a very thoughtful way. Um, I'm not involved in infant baptisms in my work, and so it's exciting to see these young adults who are thinking about their life and faith and making the decision to enter in fully and become a follower of Jesus, and so it, to do baptisms for them, it, it's super meaningful. I can imagine it would be. Actually, when I was thinking about it being my favorite sacrament, I was thinking, you know what? I think I've only baptized kids. So part of my excitement is I like children. But when I have been involved in adult baptisms as someone who was preparing them for baptism before I was ordained, yeah, that journey has been amazing to watch. And what a choice to make when it yes. we're so free to not make that choice in some cases. So 
Well, this is Right Questions, and I am the Reverend Jane Gober. I'm the rector at Christ Church in Ridley Park, Pennsylvania, right under the airport, which my friend Alan is well aware of. We are friends across the river. That's right. <laughs> and I love getting a chance to catch up with you when you are making your trips. This is our episode on the sacraments, and I have invited my friend Alan in to talk with us, and I want him to start by telling us a little bit about what he did before he was an Episcopal priest, and then talk about what he's doing now. Yeah, so I'm Alan Wakabayashi. Um, I am actually relatively new to the priesthood in the Episcopal Church for most of my adult life. I mean, I've been involved in campus ministry for the entirety of my kind of vocational life, but it was all in the context of the evangelical world. And so I started uh, for a group, campus, a national campus ministry organization, uh, evangelical one called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, I did that for, gosh, over 20 years. And then at, uh, at one point transitioned into um, becoming a pastor at an independent evangelical church near the University of Illinois. It was a university town church that was uh, seeking to kind of connect with the university. And a lot of my job was to continue the the work with uh, students there. And I, I kept up a part-time arrangement with InterVarsity. So it was all still pretty much campus ministry, uh, even as a pastor. As a pastor, I had more wider church-wide intergenerational duties as well. But the focus has always been working with college and university students. Um, and at some point, I I guess there was things about my evangelical heritage and practice of life that um, I was re-examining and realizing, man, there's, there's something, there's more to this. And as I explored the Anglican tradition, it just my eyes, my ear, everything was popping. I was like, why didn't anybody tell me this before? And so I, I jumped ship and hopped on the ordination journey, became an Episcopal priest. And now here I sit as the Episcopal chaplain at Princeton University. I'm assuming that some of what clicked and popped and caught your excitement and depth was related to sacraments. Would you say that's true? Oh, yeah, very much so. I think, um, and I, I should... Uh, fill this out a little bit more and that the reason I first got drawn in was my wife who had come from a very similar background and um, much earlier years before she had hit uh, you know a, a season in her life where she was exploring things for herself too and she wanted to take a break from the evangelical church world a spiritual mentor said why don't you try the Episcopal Church they they do these uh liturgy and sacraments and just see what that's like. She started and just started having some profound kind of spiritual experiences, especially with kind of the sacramental aspect of life at the church. Uh, it just happened that we were three minutes from a very high Anglo-Catholic parish in the city. We we're in Chicago and she never turned back. I mean, that was it. She became an Episcopalian then, and that led me to start looking at it as well. So sacraments, I think it was sacraments, the whole wider tradition that we've inherited from the early church that uh, we're, you know, we are living inside of as we do our practice of Christian faith. All of that just filled out so much that I realized, man, I, I was missing out so much. So that's why I 
hopped over this in this direction. That's beautiful. So you're the chaplain at Princeton. What's something else we might want to know about you? I don't know. So I, this is not very interesting. I guess uh, if people ask me what I do for hobbies, I, I love to go fishing. And so that's if I had free time, which I, you know, oftentimes summer is a lot lighter schedule for me. And so I hop in my kayak and pop into a nearby lake to do some bass fishing. And that's what I enjoy doing if I have the free time. Good. Whatever hobby works for someone that brings them joy and satisfaction and doesn't cause grief for others, it's a great hobby to have. Yeah, that's right. Years ago, somebody said, Alan, you need something to get lost in that's not tied to your work. And I kept trying different things, but only when I started bass fishing, then everything else, I just forget everything else and just are right into fishing and I don't worry about my job and ministry concerns and things. So, Good for you. Yeah. So, um, of course, the Right Questions podcast is tied to the Your Faith, Your Life book. And this week's episode um, is connected to, connected lightly to chapter nine of the revised edition. One of the things I was wondering about as I was preparing for this, Alan, was is there, or do you think there's a different set of sacraments you get asked more questions about as a campus chaplain? So, in my work, so as a chaplain, you know, I lead this small campus church that's serving uh, Princeton University and also the seminary down the road. You know, we've got a pretty decent crop of students coming. And for them, you know, I did say that, that baptism was very significant to me, but much more uh, regular and talked about is, is Holy Eucharist. And so I think we are regularly talking about it, it, talking about just how significant that is for the Christian life. Um, and we're pushing that, you know, for, for our students as kind of one of the hallmarks of what needs to be built in place as a regular pattern for life is participating in Sunday liturgy uh, to receive from God in sacrament and uh, word and sacrament. So, so we talk about sacrament, you know, we talk about, Holy Eucharist, you know, we have a confirmation class every spring and we walk through the liturgy together. We talk about the history of sacraments and the difference of opinions about what Holy Eucharist is about when we partake and things like that. So I feel like I've had more questions about communion over the last two and a half years than I had in, I did get them regularly, but I feel like there's been more conversation and wonderings um, and inquiries as people had to wrestle with the shutdown times and distance times and so on. So yeah, um, that's, that's right. Yeah. So it did bring that to a higher place in thought patterns. So the question I ask every time of all of my guests of a huge subject every single time has been a huge subject. Um, if there are three or four most important things for someone who's got some curiosity about what we're up to, who's maybe been doing this for a long time and hasn't thought a whole lot about it, what are three or four most important things that you might want them to know about the sacraments and, or the sacraments and the sacramentals? Sure. You know, I, I think, you know, I, as I said, I came from the evangelical tradition and, and in my world, we didn't talk about you know we didn't talk about sacraments, baptism and Eucharist or communion were considered uh, ordinances, so things that you do because Jesus told us we should do them. But there's 
the idea of sacraments, you know, um, grace being given through phys- physical means was just foreign. It was not talked about. So now that I'm here, I, I think about a few things. You know, one one thing that came to me as I explored our tradition is just how this really goes back to the early church, a sacramental view of things like baptism and Holy Eucharist. It's all there. Like it goes back from the earliest days of the church that there it's, it's evidence there in early church writings. Um, you know, I think we'll go into what sacraments sacramental means, but it's there. So it's, it's not just something that the church came up with later it is part of our inheritance of the tradition that's been passed on from the apostles. Um, secondly, I would say that because of that tradition and because of what's said, there is something really happening. So I, I believe through our tradition that, you know, this idea that their means of grace means there's something actually happening. It's not just, uh, I don't know. I, I think before I, the sacraments, we wouldn't call them sacraments, but communion, Eucharist, uh, and baptism were just things to do to obey Jesus and maybe proclaim to the rest of the world that we are believers and follow Jesus. But sacramental has, there's a, a notion that there is mysteriously grace given, there's spiritual transaction happening. So that's number two. And then the third thing, well, third thing I'd say is that However, there's there's still kind of, I don't want to speak out of two sides of my mouth, but I want to say like an incompleteness or something that it needs to be matched with faith in the re- reception. So it can be very passive, which I think is, a, was, is one of the problems that happens in the church oftentimes. But the intention behind sacraments is that they're received with a very intentional and active faith. And so there's an incompleteness when it's just kind of passively, well, you know, let's, let's get the deed done, get our kid sprinkled or whatever, or it's just a ritual to take part in because that's what we do as Christians. I think there's more. That reminds me of a conversation, a question I was asked by like a senior high camper once uh, at a camp that's on a lake and there had been a baptism in the lake. And the question of this, you know, adolescent was, okay, well, they baptized this one person, but the priest was saying the the prayers over the water, which is the water of the whole lake. So does that mean <laughs> that everybody who gets in the lake forever or for a certain amount of time is now baptized? And I was like, no, 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 no. Intention matters. The That's intention right, yeah. of the person being baptized, if they are older, the intention of the family, if it is a small child matters. And the same thing is true with Eucharist. There's sort of a unfortunate material materialist, magic-y thing where people start thinking that communion wafers that have been blessed that are outside of communion have some sort of power. Yeah. It's it's more of a fictional thing, um, but it's around as an idea. And so intention is important. That's right. Even though the grace in the sacraments is real and transforming. When you were talking about something really happening, that idea of real presence as our official language would use, number one is that 
I actually do encounter a lot of people who have a wide array of understandings about what real presence might possibly mean, about what their experience of Eucharist is, both as priests and as receivers. And you can have folks who are pretty far over into the memorialist category, maybe not all the way there, but pretty far over there. And then you, I've served with priests who definitely a whole lot closer to transubstantiation than the others, but we're all at the same table together and the grace still works no matter what sort of thoughts we're having about it. Our thoughts about it aren't necessary. As much as our intention is important, our thoughts about it may not be the deciding factor. Right. Yeah. I I, I mean, I'm coming from, so my training was at Neshota House Seminary, which is known as the super high Anglo-Catholic seminary, uh, which often can feel almost Roman Catholic in some of its practices. Uh, It was not my choice. I was, that was my only choice for my bishop when I was pursuing ordination. And it was a mixed experience, but the training, I really appreciated the academic training. And, you know, some of that, it, we talked about how in the Anglican tradition, there is a wideness, like there's, we're not pinning down how it happens. We just know something's happening. And that there's different, you know, approaches to it. Um, Transubstantiation being one of them, which is a Roman Catholic vision, which is most articulated by Thomas Aquinas, which I think is like 11th century or something like that. Um, yeah. And and yet a more reformed vision, I think they attribute some of this to Calvin, is that um, the sacrament is not real unless it's received by faith, that's leaning in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I think there's something objectively, the real presence is, is coming to us in the bread and the wine, but the intention is it needs to be received with an active faith. And then of course the memorial position, which is that it's just a time to remember um, nothing is nothing special is happening other than it's a, a time to remember, which is what I was raised with. That was my, you know, without knowing that there's other ideas about it, but that's how I was raised. So I interrupted you in your train of four thoughts. So we were on the third one talking about the incompleteness in itself of that the reception um, should be matched with intentionality and purpose in the human. Yeah. And I think when it comes Maybe a fourth thought, and this is more with Holy Eucharist, it should be kind of a regular diet, that it's um, it's a spiritual feeding. And despite our experience of it, it's still, it's, it's a regular diet kind of thing. You know, like John 6 talks about Jesus talking about um, eating the flesh and drinking my blood. It's spiritual nourishment. So it's... You know, I, I'm one who doesn't feel like every time I take Eucharist, there's some spiritual high experience, something's happening that I can consciously feel. And yet, because of the tradition and what's been passed on, I believe that it's, uh, it is a, an issue of regular taking in a means of grace, a regular spiritual nourishment. You know, I remember... Early on in my journey, when I was exploring things, all things Anglican, I read a book by Sarah Miles, and Sarah Miles, I think it's called "Eat This Bread." I can't remember the title, but it's either "Eat This Bread" or "Take This Bread," something like that. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah, right. Where Sarah Miles, you know, she's an she's a complete atheist, 
she stumbles into an Episcopal church, not believing anything, and just happens to take communion because that's what's happening there. And as she takes communion, Jesus shows up and it's like, it's me. And her life was transformed. She's converted. And then she ends up pursuing ordination, becomes a deacon in the church. And so it's clear that for some people, like Sarah, the Eucharist can be a very transformative, conscious experience of something that's happening. But for some of the rest of us, maybe not. But it's still our it's our feeding. It's it's a regular diet to take in on a regular basis. Thinking back about my own journey, um, I was raised in this tradition. I was raised in the Episcopal Church, but didn't care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and started back actually into pursuing my own Christian faith in college and was graced measure beyond measure by a simple but loving campus ministry and congregation and started back in in that journey. And I'm not sure I had a whole host of complicated thoughts, (laughs) no pun intended, a whole host of, uh, I I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts about it, but I do look back and see that parts of my life that were out of joint started to get closer back to joint. They weren't magically fixed or anything like that, but I can see over the period, particularly of like six to eight months of things evened out, whether that was community or something else. And I actually think it's a mix of the community and the grace of the sacrament. It did change me and did reshape me into someone who not only was better at being the person I intended to be as a disciple of Christ, but even a person who is more curious, a a deepening of the roots and the roots and tendrils of what it means to practice. Yeah. At Princeton, you know, um, we talk about this all the time because Princeton students are driven, driven, driven. It's all about performance, making the grade there. You know, Princeton students are kind of in told from the very beginning, you are the the best and the brightest. And then they look around and, you know, some of them are insecure because they're wondering, can they, can they make the grade? And there's all this enticement of, you know, prestigious kinds of internships and opportunities in front of them. And, and socially, there's just all kinds of crazy things happening, you know, on campus to, to get involved in. So it's this flurry of activity, stress, insecurity? Do I measure up? And so we talk about how in that context, for some, they look at the spiritual life and think, I can't fit it in. There's no time in my schedule to fit in church, spiritual life. And yet we're trying to reframe it saying, no, 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 you, you, that's when you actually need it. You need to bring your spiritual life back into the center of your life. And that reorients everything else. So that reorients how then you can view the performance messages that are being thrown at you or the you start re, reorienting and reprioritizing what, what matters and rather than just kind of this mad random flurry of things that are thrown at you. And yeah, that's we talk about it. So it is part, you know, it's church, it's sacrament, it's regular community with the body of Christ. It's pursuing faith on your own. We're regularly telling students that if you if you can navigate that now, that will reorient the rest of your life 
so that you can flourish and have um, the inward resources to face everything in inward uh, wisdom, peace, security that, that God wants for us so that we can actually flourish the way God wants us to. It's so hard to hear even in less complex settings, but knowing what I've learned about the Princeton setting, that doesn't, uh, that sounds like something that those students really need to be invited into and reminded to repeatedly because there's no tangible reward for doing it, but there is a, a blessing and a centering. Yes, that's right. Right. Because I mean, in front of them, I mean, there's just all this enticement of what could be, you know, prestige and influence and opportunity. And, and so it's very enticing to get, I mean, it's a, its own little rat race. So we've gone through the four and I'll review them later. And I think I know what you might suggest, but if someone was going to walk away from listening to this podcast and try one new thing or try one thing, even if it's not new, what might that be? You know, I, I don't think it's very revolutionary to think about, but I think it's a lot is it's intentionality, right? It's um, I think, especially in the Episcopal church and maybe in the mainline world, faith can become very passive that you just kind of walk through and do because it's expected. That's what you're raised in, or that's what you've been doing all the time. But I, I think if we can engender some in- intentionality in approaching the sacraments, especially Holy Eucharist, and the liturgy that's presented for us on Sundays or partake in the daily office of prayer, things like that, that if there's intentionality behind it, that that hopefully over time will kind of soak in and increase, you know, I think the reception of grace, it, it's not always going to be this, you know, exciting flash of spiritual experience, but over time, it's doing its work. It may, you may not even notice it, but over time uh, you can look back and think, yeah, God really did work in my life to shape me as I practice this day by day, week after week. But it takes intentionality, right? Rather than just kind of sliding in and passively participating. Yeah. We were talking in one of the other episodes about how if prayer and worship are exciting every single time, I don't think I have the energy load to deal with that. Right. And, you know, and to be honest, you know, coming from the evangelical world, I think that's a bit of sometimes what happens is that the evangelical church world, it's all about the exciting service, you know, the, the emotional experience of being in praise and worship or hearing this exciting 40 minute sermon. Um, and after a while, it's like, you know, it's like how when you come in and you're not experiencing kind of this emotional high or jolt, you feel like there's something wrong. And I think, you know, there's kind of a, I don't know, it, it seems like evangelicals, when I was in that world, if I wasn't careful, I was always looking for the next high, like the experience. And if it didn't happen, something's wrong with me. Or this is something wrong with the church, and so I find something else that's going to be more exciting. I don't think that's a very healthy way to live the Christian life. It's 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 going to be a a slow process of spiritual formation, with you know period obviously periodic experiences that are really you know transformative. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often, it's going to be just a slow, steady growth of 
God transforming us from within as we approach it day by day with intentionality of faith. And I think one of the gifts of the sacraments and the sacramentals is that every single one of them are things that we would generally already have on hand. Right. They're, they're not reliant on lights or energy or pyrotechnics or production ability. It's bread yeah. and it's wine and it's water and it's oil and it's hands and it's relationship. And so it, it's experiencing God's grace and, an, you know, as we would say that through outward signs that are every day. So, uh, you know, the definition, technical definition of the sacrament is um, an outward sign of an inner grace. Right. And all of the outward signs in the sacramental tradition, even in our tradition, and particularly in some of the ways that you were more trained in, of being extraordinarily elaborate and detailed liturgies, at the end of the day, part of what we all share in this end of the Christian pool is uh, the sacraments being rooted in simple elements. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I, I was really appreciated the more that I learned about the tradition is the idea of sacraments. It's not just, I mean, yes, we have the two that are kind of the hallmarks, what, what the entire Episcopal church would agree are sacraments, you know, baptism and Eucharist, but behind that is kind of an approach to life that God works through the created order. Like there's, there's, you know, going back to the, the ultimate sacrament, which is Jesus, here's the invisible God working through the human flesh of the person, the son of Jesus Christ, that all of life, the created order, the physical matter that we are all a part of can be avenues of spiritual communion and grace as we, you know, seek to commune with God. Alexander Schmemann, he's a Eastern Orthodox writer, scholar. Um, he has a book called For the Life of the World. And he talks about how the entire created order was meant to be received with gratitude and then offered back up in worship. And so that means that every aspect of life, whether it's an apple, whether it's friendship, you know, all these physical connections can be avenues of communion with God. And so all of life then has spiritual significance. And that's, I mean, I think that's beautiful. It's hard to live, but it, you know, it reframes life that, you know, God is, God comes to us spiritually through all this of life that we're part of. Um, and then in special ways, it comes to us through the waters of baptism and through the bread and wine of Holy Communion. That connects to something I was going to name of, um, so there are the two of official agreed sacraments instituted by Jesus, baptism and Eucharist. And then we have the sacramental rites, I believe we call them technically. I call them sacramentals just because, I don't know, I like making up new words. Um, so like marriage and confirmation and anointing and so on. And then there's also even beyond the official, some of what you were just hinting at of the ways in which God is offering us grace through outward means all the time. And I used to work with a former Jesuit priest who's now an Episcopal priest um, who would say that that's just, it's an, it's an infinity of infinities of ways in which God is communicating to us through material means. And this is a 
be a moment to do a plug for we're starting to plot what a season two of Right Questions would be. And one of the subjects would be A, the official sacramentals, the um, confirmation, etc. And then that infinitude of means of grace that God is not limited to our categories and boxes. Right. And I, you know, I think about, you know, our, at Princeton at ECP, one of the gifts we have is that we get to worship in the Princeton Chapel, which is this beautiful Gothic cathedral-like space. It's the architecture, it's the space. And we've, I've inherited this amazing choir that's stacked with Westminster Choir College alums. And so oftentimes for our students, what's drawn is not the preaching, you know, it's not, I mean, hopefully I'm doing okay preaching, but what they're drawn to is actually the space and the music. And there's kind of, whether they even recognize it or not, there's something transcendent about their connection with that. And again, is that part of the sacramental idea? Um, and other times, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, Episcopal tradition, we don't uh, often do confession like the Catholics do, but I have had, opportunities to engage in the ministry reconciliation with students. And it's interesting that anyone can actually confess sins and pray to God on their own, but there's something about just mediating that through physical agency, you know? And so I get the privilege, not by any merit of myself, but my office that I get to mediate a sense of absolution forgiveness with these students who are then pouring out their sins and then receiving Jesus' words of forgiveness through the, the right that's presented for us in the BCP that I get to pronounce absolution forgiveness. And I think it's very meaningful. And there's something, there's an added 3D dimension to that as opposed to if that student just went into their room and confessed their sins and, you know, recognize her forgiveness in Jesus. Absolutely. Well, Alan, thank you for joining me to talk about the things we get to talk about all the time. Yeah. The four, I'm going to review the four main things you listed. Of course, we could have talked for nine hours about all of these, but um, the first most important thing was the sacramental view is ancient. It comes to us from the earliest church traditions. Um, it's not something we came up with later. Uh, secondly, is that um, something's really happening in sacraments, whether it's water or oil or bread or wine, something happens, whether we can explain it or not, whether we all agree on what's going on, something happens. And that something that happens changes us. Third was that there's an incompleteness in that, that we were talking about intentionality of um, whatever is happening in these material items and material things or relationships. It has to be matched with faith. It has to be matched with the heart. And then fourthly, that um, the regular participation in worship and particularly the sacrament of Eucharist, which is our expected regular sacrament, has real and tangible value for human well-being, whether that's through the mystery of grace, through the mystery of the sacrament, through the community that happens in that reception. Um, and it's not always going to be fireworks. Right. Yeah. Well, and your to-do suggestion um, is related to that. Of don't let it just be passive of something that you're just 
going through the motions. Take the time and whether it's through paying attention to particular words of prayer or looking at the faces around you, try on being less passive in the experience of the sacraments. That's great. Yep. I already said thank you. I know I will see you again soon. I'm going to close us out with prayer from our Book of Common Prayer on page 827. This is actually the prayer for knowledge of God's creation, but I think it connects with our discussion of a sacramental universe. So let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you made the universe with all its marvelous order, atoms, worlds, galaxies, and the infinite complexity of living creatures. Grant that as we probe the mysteries of your creation, we may come to know you more truly and more surely fulfill our role in your eternal purpose. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.